Well, good morning, Orchard Hill. The great morning of worship this far, spirit-led time of worship, and hopefully that same sense of God's movement can be uh, experienced here as we dive into God's Word. Today I want to begin by sharing a few stories. This chair represents a 14-year-old boy. He grew up loving the sport of basketball. He grew up with four other friends, and all throughout elementary school and middle school, they dreamed of once they got into high school, they would become the starting five players on the basketball team. However, this 14-year-old boy finally made it to high school this year, and tryouts came. And unfortunately, he was the only person from his friend group who got cut from the team. And he tried to have a good attitude about it at first, but over time he, he began to grow more bitter and more angry. And once the game started happening, he went and saw his friends playing and the other four players were starters on the basketball team. And at that point, he's had enough. He was growing bitter towards God and he was growing bitter towards his friends. This chair represents a 26-year-old woman whose only dream all throughout her life was to get married. And so at 18 years old, she went off to college, uh, not really caring about getting uh, a degree or even a job, because all she really wanted was to get married, to get a man to put a ring on her finger that she could spend the rest of her life with and start a, a family with. But as time went by, she didn't get married. She didn't even feel like a whole lot of men were interested in her. Yet now at 26 years old, she's looking around and saying, man, this friend is getting married. This friend is getting married. I'm now the only person in my friend group who doesn't have a relationship. And she too begins to grow bitter. And she begins to experience this resentment towards her friends. This chair represents a 40-year-old man whose dream it was to become a successful businessman. Rather than starting his own company, he decides to go work for a local company who promised him, after 15 years of service, no questions asked, you will become the general manager of our location here in Grand Rapids. And so he said, all right, deal. And he devoted actually 17 years of service to this company. But when the general manager position opened up, Instead of being hired to be the general manager, they hired somebody else. And to make matters worse, the person they hired was this guy's coworker who has only been there for nine years. And so this guy looks at these keys and he thought to himself, these keys open the door to every door in our business, including the corner office that I want. He thought that these keys would open up a brand new future for him and his family. But instead, he's overcome with anger, he's overcome with bitterness, and he's filled with resentment. And this last chair represents a 68-year-old man who all his life worked so hard. He saved every extra penny that he had so him and his wife could enjoy a comfortable retirement and could use these passports to travel all around the world. 
This couple dreamed of going to their grandkids' baseball games and soccer games, but instead, tragedy struck. Two years after he retired, his wife was diagnosed with cancer, and she passed away. Now, instead of traveling the world, this man is sitting at home, looking at Facebook on his phone, and he's seeing all of his friends traveling the world with their wives. And he, too, begins to experience this anger, this bitterness. And the very friends that he loved and was going to travel with, he instead is, is experiences the, this resentment towards them. So these four chairs represent four different people from four different ages, from four different contexts, four different situations. Yet they have one thing in common. Each of them is struggling with envy. Each of these four individuals are being weighed down by envy. And I'm convinced that everyone here today either has struggled with envy, is currently struggling with envy, or someday will be tempted by envy in the future. So today we are going to dive into God's word and see what does God's word say about envy. Everybody can open up their Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26. Now today, if you're taking notes, we're going to hopefully answer three different questions. First question, what is envy? Secondly, what is actually wrong with envy? Why is it such a big deal in God's eyes? And then thirdly, Hopefully, we'll be able to answer the question, what is the solution to envy? So everybody look at Galatians 5, verses 13 through 26. Verse 13, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. And when Paul uses the word flesh, he's talking about your sinful nature. Because you're free in Christ, don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Paul writes in verse 14, the entire law is fulfilled in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So Paul here is reminding the church of Galatia that the entire law can be summed up with one command. Just love your neighbor as yourself. And at this point, I hope that when we finish our reading, you're going to experience uh, really a, a hint of what's going on. There's something going on with these interpersonal relationships. There's something going on because Paul says, quit biting each other and devouring each other. There's some sort of conflict going on. So in light of this, he says, verse 16, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul is saying, instead of living out your flesh, walk by the Spirit. That's the answer to everything. Walk by the Spirit. Then he goes on to tell us what the acts of the flesh are. Verse 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, 
impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. And now notice all these interpersonal sins. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So in this passage, Paul uses some really strong language to describe envy. You know, he at first talks about all of these big major sins that we say, yeah, these are, are quite bad sins in our culture, sexual morality, debauchery, orgies. Uh, and Paul goes on to say that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yet when I was studying this, I was shocked at the amount of interpersonal relationship sins that Paul includes here in the acts of the flesh. He talks about things like hatred and jealousy. He talks about, um, uh, and obviously the big one that we're going to talk about today, envying each other. And for me, I don't know why, but I never really thought, man, to envy is that big of a deal. But Paul says those who envy will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so this is a huge deal for Paul, and this is a huge deal, obviously, in the mind of God. And so as we kind of seek to get a better understanding of uh, this subject, let's ask the question, what exactly is envy? And I think once we understand what it is, then we'll be able to understand why is it such a big deal in God's eyes. So the definition of envy is a feeling of discontentment or resentment that is aroused by the desire for someone else's possessions, qualities, or status in life. Now there's two characteristics, two elements of envy that I really want to focus on today. And the first one is desire. If you are guilty of envy, you are desiring something else uh, that somebody else has. So for example, if we go over here, this 14-year-old kid, he desired a spot on the team. He desired something that he did not have. This young lady, she desired a spouse, something that somebody else had. This person desired the keys of power and wealth and success. Somebody else had it. So in all cases of envy, you desire something that somebody else has. And if it stopped there, we would simply be guilty of coveting. It's envy's evil cousin, very much related, but very different. So if you covet, you simply desire something that somebody else has. But envy takes things a step further. If you're guilty of envying, not only do you desire something that somebody else has, but you have resentment towards that person. So this person, not only did he desire a spot on the team, but he began to feel this bitterness and resentment towards his friends. 
This person not only desired a relationship, but she began to feel resentment towards her, her friends who did have marriages. This person not only desired the corner office, but he held resentment towards the person who took his position. So in all cases of envy, there is bitterness and resentment coupled with a deep desire. Another way of thinking about this is to think about what is called in our culture the crab mentality or the crab syndrome. So if you are uh, a crab fisherman uh, out on the East Coast getting these blue crabs, they uh, would catch them and they'd put them in these bushel baskets. And what do crabs do? They just grab and claw and move themselves around and position them in different places. So when a bucket full of crabs are in this basket here, uh, the ones on top, they grab towards the, the rim of the basket and they begin to pull themselves to freedom. But when those crabs on top are about to gain their freedom, just about ready to flip over the edge, what do the crabs on the bottom do? They grab them. They pull them back down. The crab says, if I can't have my freedom, you can't either. And crabs, again, they're just doing what crabs do, grabbing and pulling and positioning. But it gives us a wonderful example of what envy is. It's pulling others down, saying, if I can't have it, you can't either. Desire matched with resentment. So, that's kind of envy. Envy in a nutshell. And probably many of you are here today saying, Greg, I don't really struggle with envy. I'm not this super bitter person. I don't have a lot of resentment towards other people. And honestly, that's what I thought too when I started this message. But then I learned envy can manifest itself, manifest itself in so many different ways. You don't have to be this super uh, envious and resentful person on the outside to struggle with envy. So let me ask you a few questions. How many of you, don't raise your hand, how many of you have ever felt a little jealous of the talents, the successes, or good fortunes of those around you? How many of you have a rival in your life, whether it be a, a sibling, co-worker, a friend, a teammate? How many people take pleasure at another's difficulties or distresses you know for me Michigan's had a good season but when they don't I take pleasure in Michigan having a terrible season go green <laughs> those are fighting words this morning um, so I've repented of my envy of your 10 and 0 season how many of you struggle with slander or gossip especially geared towards those people who are better than you? How many of you gossip and slander uh, and say something, even if it is true, simply to make yourself look better, right? All of these more subtle things could all be symptoms of envy. And so again, I, I really think that most of us either have struggled with envy, are currently struggling with envy, or someday will struggle with envy. Now that we have a better understanding what is envy, let's ask the next question. What is so wrong with envy? Why is it worthy uh, to be listed in the acts of the flesh here? And so if you're taking notes, I have four biblical reasons why I think envy is such a big deal. And the first one is because envy 
is the enemy of love. Look back at Galatians. Galatians 5.14 says, The whole law is summed up with one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you are full of resentment towards somebody, it is going to be impossible to love them sacrificially. Envy is the enemy of love. Think about the famous passage from 1 Corinthians 13. Because love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy. So again, envy is the enemy of sin. Think about Matthew 22. Somebody goes up to Jesus, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so again, the whole reason why we were created is to love God perfectly and love others sacrificially. And so if we are, are weighed down by envy, and if we're full of resentment, it is going to be impossible to love the people that God has called us to love. And so I think the biggest reason why envy is such a big deal is because it is the enemy of love. It prevents us from loving. You know, Paul is talking about something that's just dividing the church in Galatians. And part of it, obviously, was the whole food law thing. But the other part of it seems to be that people were just living selfish lives and they were full of envy. They were devouring one another. So that is number one. Envy is the enemy of love. Why else is envy a big deal? Secondly, I think, envy indicates that God is not enough to satisfy you. Envy indicates that God is not enough to satisfy you. If you think about who you envy or what you are envious of, I think it reveals to you what exactly gives you satisfaction. So think about what do you envy, who do you envy, and it will reveal what do you look to for satisfaction. This guy, he was envious of somebody with athletic success. This kid looks for athletic success to give him some sort of fulfillment and satisfaction. This person looks towards a relationship a marriage to give her her 100% sense of satisfaction and fulfillment. This person looks for power to give him the sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. So again, I want you to just take a moment and think. Who are you envious of in your life? What are you envious of? And I think once you answer that question, it's going to reveal what you look to for a sense of satisfaction. Envy is a problem because it reveals that God is not enough to satisfy you. Thirdly, and much related to point number two, envy indicates you have an identity problem. Envy indicates you have an identity problem. So once again, when you think about what you envy and who you envy, it reveals what do you run to for your source of identity. This guy, his entire identity was built up in being a starter on the basketball team. That's who defined him. This person uses relationships. She measures her worth based on relationships with others. If she doesn't have a boyfriend, she must not be worthy. 
Her identity, first and foremost, is not in Christ. Same with this guy, right? He was looking for power and success to define him. And so when we truly get under all the layers of who do we envy and what are we envious of, we're revealed, it's revealed in our hearts, that we have this identity problem. And that sounds super harsh. But today, if you are guilty of envy, hear the good news of Jesus. That who you are and your value as a person is not based on what you do. Who you are and your value and worth as a person isn't based on your athletic success, your marriage or lack of relationship. It's not based on how much money you make or your position or your title. Your identity is simply based on being a child of God. And so let us throw off all these false identities that we try to give ourselves the sense of worth with and let us go back to putting our foundational identity in Christ. Number four, what's the problem with envy? I think it also indicates that we do not trust God. So if you believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you believe in a God who is sovereign. You believe in a God who has complete control over all of human history. And the Bible talks about how God gives unique and special gifts to each person. And so Pastor Bob has gifts that I do not have. I have gifts that my wife Stacy doesn't have. You all have special, unique, God-given gifts that you possess that other people don't possess. But when we become guilty of envy, I think it is uh, a little bit of a slap in the face to God because we're saying, God, why didn't you give me what this person has? Why didn't you give me athletic ability? God, why didn't you bless me with a marriage? And so our resentment begins to build towards God. And I think it's an indicator that really we might be doubting in the sovereignty of God. We might begin doubting in the goodness of God. And this is dangerous because not only are we building resentment towards other people, but we are turning our resentment and our anger towards God. God, where am I at? You know, if you want to hear a lighthearted example of this, this week I was thinking about Pastor Laura. Every special service, Wendy here gives someone in our church maybe a, a special thing to memorize for a theatrical thing, or maybe it's just uh, to provide a spiritual moment in the service. And so when Wendy asked me to memorize something, uh, first of all, I'm praying it is incredibly short because I have a terrible memory. And so uh, maybe five lines or less, Wendy, in the future. Um, <laughs> but even on these... Uh, little smaller things and I think she knows I'm terrible at memorizing so uh, she normally gives me these short ones but she always gives it to me way in advance so I can start memorizing because even for something that's 10 lines long I'm gonna have to memorize it every day for like an entire week and I'll get up on stage and just pray that I don't forget my lines um, so that is me however Pastor Laura 
she'll uh, usually get uh, a part in our Christmas Eve service. And I kid you not, it's like I get 10 lines, Laura gets like two pages. And it's ridiculous because I go up to Laura, maybe on Wednesday, if the service is on Friday, and I'm like, Laura, how's that memorization going? Kind of, you know, giving her a hard time because I don't have to memorize two pages. And she's like, ah, I don't know, I haven't really looked at it yet. It's oh, impressive, that's impressive. But if you come early to Christmas Eve, Laura, she'll come about an hour and a half early, sat right about over here with her two papers. I feel like she'll read it three times. And she'll have it completely memorized. She'll get up here and do it completely flawless, not miss a single word. And in those situations, I'm like, God, why did you not give me that gift? God, do you know how much more time I could have if I had this gift of memory? I'd have so much less stress during the holidays. It's ridiculous. You gave Laura this? What about me? And while that's a lighthearted example, I hope it gets across the point. Sometimes things in our lives are not so lighthearted. God, my life is basketball. And I got cut because I had a bad week? God, I'm living to be married and to have children? What is this, some cruel game? Oftentimes, it's not very lighthearted, and it's not easy. And I think truly deep down, when we struggle with envy, we are battling it out with God. And it's incredibly, incredibly dangerous when we start saying, God, I don't trust you. God, I doubt your goodness. It's not to say we can't wrestle, but it's a dangerous, dangerous thing when we walk away from God. So, now we know what is envy. Now we hopefully are convinced that envy is a problem because of those four reasons. And so the last question I want to answer is, what is the solution? If we are overcome with envy, what are we to do? How can we stop ourselves from being so weighed down by envy? And Galatians 5.16 gives us the answer. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The answer is to walk by the Spirit. Now that is kind of a weird phrase, so I just want to take a minute to unpack that. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit when it comes to envy? And so, first I think it means walk by the Spirit by being satisfied in Christ Jesus alone. We as humans are masters at running to other people and other things to give us a sense of satisfaction. You and I can run to different things to be fulfilled by different things. But if you are here today and you are weighed down by envy, I want to give you a challenge, and the challenge is this. Go invest in your relationship with the Lord. Go fall in love with the maker of the universe, because the more you are satisfied with your relationship with God, the less you are going to run to other things for that sense of satisfaction, for that sense of fulfillment. I was thinking about it in the case of a marriage. 
if I am completely satisfied in my marriage with Stacy, completely fulfilled in every area with my marriage with Stacy, I'm not going to look for other people or other things to fulfill my needs in my relationship with Stacy because I'm fully satisfied in my relationship with her. And the same goes for us in our relationship with the Lord. The more that we are satisfied in God, the less we're going to need athletic success or academic success to give us our satisfaction. And it's not to say that you won't desire these things, but you'll come to the point of saying, you know what, I desire that promotion, but God, you're my satisfaction no matter what happens. You might come to the place where you say, God, I really, really desire a relationship, and that is valid, we're human. But you'll be able to say at the end of the day, God, let your will be done. So let your satisfaction be in God alone. Secondly, Walk by the Spirit by placing your identity in Christ alone. If you want to be freed from envy, if you want to be freed from its power, I think you're going to have to get rid of whatever identity that you are grasping. Let it go, like Bob was talking about last week. Just cast it off and renew your identity in Christ. And again, I just want to let you know that who you are and your value as a person is not based on anything other than your relationship with God. If you are a child of God, that is your first and foremost identity. Everything else is secondary. And so if you want to stop yourself from being weighed down by envy, put your foundational identity in Christ. Thirdly, walk by the Spirit by trusting in the sovereignty of God. Walk by the Spirit by trusting God. What does that look like for you? How might you begin to remind yourself of the inherent goodness and faithfulness of God? Maybe you got to remind yourself in Scripture of God's eternal faithfulness from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation. Because that faithful God, that trustworthy God, is the God that we worship today. Remind yourself of God's faithfulness. And again, it might not be easy. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not going to say your, your flesh is not going to desire anything or you're never going to doubt God. I want to challenge you today. Begin replacing those lies in your mind that God is not good with the truth of who God is as found in Scripture. Build your trust up with the Lord. And lastly, walk by the Spirit by being committed to love. Walk by the Spirit by being committed to love. If envy is the enemy of love, then love is the antidote to envy. Love is how you defeat the power of envy. Again, Galatians 5.14 says the whole thing. What is it about? It's about loving God and loving your neighbor. And so if today you struggle with envy, what would it look like if tomorrow you went into work and you saw your rival, but instead of avoiding your rival in the workplace, you blessed them. You were kind to them. You talked to them. What if when you saw your rival tomorrow at school or on your basketball team, you said, you know what? Blank. Give them a compliment. Even better, what if you talk highly about that person in front of other people 
to make them look better than yourself. Each of you are going to have to get creative on this last point. But think, how can I sacrificially and sincerely love the rival in my life? Because I truly believe if we want to overcome envy, all we have to do is be satisfied by God, put our identity in God. I think we just have to begin to trust and learn to trust in the sovereignty of God. And we need to walk by the Spirit by being committed to love. This time I want to invite the worship team to come forward. As they come forward, um, like before, we just want to give you time to meditate. We want to give you time to reflect. And so they're just going to play some music in the background. And as you are sitting here, I want you to prayerfully ask yourself, who am I envious of? What am I envious of? What must you do to stop being weighed down from envy? I want you to ask the question, what do you need to bring to the cross? I'm going to let this basketball represent anything in your life. And although we're not going to have you all come forward and place something up at the cross, I want you, as you prayerfully consider this, to take something, whether it be athletic success, academic success, maybe it's a relationship, and I want to challenge you to put it at the cross. Surrender it at the cross. Give it to Jesus. Speak the name of Jesus over this. And so I want to just give you 30 seconds to a minute. Let's prayerfully consider who do we envy? What do we envy? What does it look like for us to begin to trust in God? sense of identity. envious of wealth the good news is that Jesus is better if you're envious of a relationship the good news is that Jesus is better if you're envious of human praise I can't satisfy you but Jesus can 
You're envious of a relationship. Again, that relationship can't satisfy you, but a relationship with the creator of the universe can. So as we sit here, we're going to just close our service with one of my favorite songs. And I just pray that during this time, you will be able to focus on the lyrics of this song. And I pray that these lyrics would define your life. And so feel free to sit, feel free to stand, feel free to raise your hands, worship and pray, but let these words be true of you.